Hello and welcome to the second series of Cargo of Bricks. Today, my guest is Richard Ramsey, Chief Economist at Ulster Bank and main sponsors of Slugger's Reset Project. So I asked Richard to give a brief outline of what that project looks like, where we are right now vis-a-vis the COVID crisis and how people can get involved in the reset. Well, if we think the economy has experienced two once-in-a-lifetime generation hits in the last 12 or 13 years, significant damage for the economy, and we're through one of those at the minute uh, with the pandemic, we need to look at uh, economic recovery, how are we going to secure that recovery? And in order to do that, we need to get a discussion going, because in many ways after the last recession, we didn't really have a discussion and uh, tangible, hard-nosed ideas and policies on how we should reshape the economy. I think now, after this latest crisis, it is long overdue. This is really about trying to build some kind of a a critical discourse that can inform, hopefully, uh, other journalists, uh, politicians, civil servants, anyone really who's around that whole sort of public space and has some kind of responsibility for it. Um, But can you just paint us a a picture of really where you think we are right now in, um, well, effectively September 2020? Well, I suppose in many ways we're uh, in the eye of the storm. We've had uh, the biggest fall in output, the deepest recession that the Northern Ireland economy has uh, ever experienced. And what's what was key this time around was the speed and the scale of it. Uh, we've had uh, freak indicators in April, April and May from the uh, government-induced lockdown, which uh, forced basically a, a, a kind of cardiac arrest for for the uh, for the economy, and. We have seen a lot of damage to the economy in terms of uh, on the labour market. We've seen uh, a lot of job losses, rising unemployment. Uh, but what we have seen it has been uh, unprecedented government policies to uh, uh, stabilise the patient. We've seen uh, the Chancellor uh, introduce things such as a furlough scheme. Uh, protecting protecting jobs, albeit uh, it's been time bound, and we're in the eye of the storm now. And you could be forgiven for thinking that with schools going back, uh, with uh, eat out to help out people back in the restaurants, that uh, a lot of the danger has passed and we're we're over the worst of it. But uh, we're as we say, we're in the eye of the storm. We can see some of the damage, such as in the tourism, hospitality sector, aerospace, aviation. Uh, but there's a lot of unseen damage as well, particularly with education, uh, given that uh, so many pupils were out of education for so much time that we're going to see a big uh, surge in uh, educational inequality or a big divergence in, in that, educational outcomes. And I suppose in many ways, we're now going from the eye of the storm back in to uh, a more challenging environment again when we see the furlough period expire we're going to see a big surge in unemployment we're then going to see uh, 
surging job losses, surging insolvencies, surging businesses going uh, going under, and then uh, next year we're we're then going to have to uh, uh, start picking up the pieces and and clear it up, and we're going to have issues such as uh, debt debt with businesses and how we're going to deal with that public sector debt and still the uncertainty of COVID when it's it's going to fi- finally leave. And you mentioned there um, young people in particular, and I think that's a really important theme here, possibly underreported in the mainstream media. But younger people have really suffered right across the piece. Could you say a little bit about that? Absolutely. It's uh, young people tend to get hit in recessions uh, more so than other age groups. And uh, this is this is no different because young people are either uh, tend to be entering the, the labor market for the first time, starting their careers, and equally in terms of getting start uh, when they're starting uh, uh, their families and getting on the property ladder. So once again, they'll be uh, adversely impacted there uh, because if you sort of think of a lot of the jobs where uh, in the hospitality and uh, sort of leisure entertainment sort of sector, there's high concentrations of uh, young people in those. So there's a higher proportion of young people are going to uh, lose their jobs, higher proportion have been already furloughed. And we're probably going to see youth unemployment rate hit about uh, 25%. Also, when you think of things such as further education and apprenticeships, We've already heard of like half the number of employers who normally would take on apprentice, apprentices aren't doing aren't doing that uh, because of the economic situation. Then you have things about working to get work experience, not going to get very much uh, useful work experience on a Zoom call. Also, tra- traditionally, when times were hard, you could end up saying, why don't you take a, take a year out, gap year, travel around the world? And of course, that's not an option either. And that's a really interesting thing you said about Zoom calls because I think all of us are feeling it, especially those who are in work or in education. You know, I've got two school-age kids still at home and um, they're, they're, fi- they're losing that kind of sense of connectedness or collegiality with their school friends, really missing it. I, I mean, having two kids who miss school is just something that when I was a kid, I certainly wouldn't uh, have imagined. But that affects younger people and and as you say in terms of getting into the whole habit of work and sense of purpose you know that's also an issue yes absolutely and uh it's you even sort of think of young people's mental health again right across the uk we've seen uh rises in uh, uh deteriorate we've seen significant deterioration in mental health, which has been again disproportionately amongst the young as opposed to older age groups. And it's that whole interaction and being sociable and all those kind of untangible things are are so important. And that's why the the likes of Zoom calls and working from home, initially for many, it was seen to be, you know, all the benefits of it. And once they got their technology sorted out, but it does turn into quite a bland uh, existence and you realize that we are human people we are human beings we like social interaction and meeting people face to face and a bit of crack bit of banter is not the same when it's uh, on a zoom call as it is when you're actually in the same room as them now this is the second major recession that we've had the first one coming in 2008 and 2009 
uh, with the liquidity crisis. Um, how do you see this crisis? Where, where are the similarities and where are the differences between those two crises? Uh, I suppose in terms of the differences is it's the speed and the scale of this. This is probably of a magnitude. We've we've seen the contraction uh, in the economy in the space of one quarter. It's probably been about three times the size of what we saw during the entire recession the last time around. So that's just so it's that speed of it. I think what we had last time round was primarily for Northern Ireland. There was a property uh, property crash, so you had those firms and those individuals who were over indebted. Uh, they were the ones most badly affected, and essentially, property was the toxic element of the last recession. We did have global financial crisis and and all of that there thereafter. But whereas this time around, the kind of uh, equivalent of property is uh, the kind of hospitality sector and social uh, interaction. Those industries which have uh, need to be close with people, rely on uh, the proximity of people, whether it's cinemas, uh, theatres, the arts, all of that, they're the ones who are being uh, adversely affected. I suppose then if you look at... Uh, Last time around as well, I suppose, when we looked at the, uh, what what we saw was the, we, Northern Ireland had the longest, uh, or the, sorry, the, the deepest, uh, deepest and longest recession of any UK region. It also had the slowest recovery. I think we're going to see a repeat of that this time around. And indeed, there's lots of indicators would already show that. One of the big problems last time around was the whole, uh, levels of debt were sapping the economic recovery. And last time around, it was more, you were talking about kind of uh, on the corporate side, you were talking of maybe scores or hundreds of firms who were very heavily indebted. And ultimately that debt had to be, e that debt burden was sort of eased to ensure uh, the recovery. This time around, you're talking about thousands and tens of thousands of firms are going to find uh, that they've had to take on extra debt, uh, albeit it's not as severe as the last time around. But for many firms, it's uh, it's it's going to be at a level which uh, they're not going to be able to uh, profitably uh, trade with whenever they come out of this. So I think next year, 2021, we're going to see the whole issue of debt and how that whole debt overhang is is uh, is dealt with is is going to be key. And private debt is something that we really don't see in the Northern Irish discourse very much. Uh, there's been an awful lot of focus, I think, for much of the last thirty years on the issue of public debt and whether we should run surpluses or whether we should uh, not worry about the debt in terms of public. But right now, it's relatively easy for governments to borrow. Um, it's going to be impossible for businesses that don't really have, um, you know, a kind of a uh, a going concern because of COVID and because of the shutdown and various other aspects to that. Um, it's going to be hard for them to um, really continue in, in that way, even if, as you say, the debt they're carrying is much lesser, a much lesser degree than they had back in 2008 nine. Indeed, and you've got you've got if you just take the hospitality sector. In many ways, the hospitality sector is currently geared up for 
the record number of tourists that we have been receiving in recent years. It's been geared up to uh, people working in offices and not working from home. And in many ways, uh, what you have to see is it has to it has to readjust and downsize to a scale that it can actually be supported by this kind of new normal until we get uh, global uh, air passengers uh, numbers back to where they were before this crisis happened. We're not going to see the tourism coming in until we get people back into the offices, which for many firms isn't going to be until next year. You're not going to see that kind of coffee coffee shop and, and cafe sort of culture then sort of become revitalized. And, uh, you know, for, for firms in that sector, it, it clearly is, it's going to be kind of survival of the fittest and there's not enough uh, food to go round to uh, satisfy the appetites of the current uh, numbers of firms in that sector. It's almost as you describe it, as though we've kind of almost regressed back to the 1950s before the coffee shop revolution, you know, for the high street, I come from Hollywood and we've got more coffee shops than enough. We used to have bicycle shops on the high street and that's all uh, gone. But what about staycationing? I see a lot of people uh, I know uh, advertising the fact that they're actually staying at home. To what degree do you think can that really hold the fort, at least uh, in this first year? A lot of people going to the beach in Crawfordsburn, um, Torella, all those places that uh, people of my vintage used to go to in the in, in the summertime back in the day. Yep, no, that's clearly is a benefit uh, at the minute, and in in many ways, when you sort of think when people did traditionally go on their holidays, whether it was to Med- Mediterranean or further afield, that represented a, a leakage of money from the Northern Ireland economy to elsewhere. So there is an opportunity for that. And I do think you're going to see businesses kind of respond and whether, you know, will we end up then even having like a, a centre parks and coming to, to Northern Ireland. Uh, so I think there are growth opportunities there. However, I suppose the problem is we're just coming out of the end of the summer and we're going into the winter months. And in many ways, a lot of the hospitality sector, it would have uh made its money during the the period that it's been closed and it's going to be more challenging uh particularly when you think of the the likes of the working from home if there isn't the footfall of office workers around and they're in their bars and restaurants and uh, you know as we know wet bars as they're called at the minute still aren't still aren't open so uh staycation certainly help and people will benefit from that but there still are big challenges so it's really good to have this round, uh, round the economy and the economy as something separate from government. The thing, the things that people really make happen. And I think, from my own point of view, uh, one of the things in the response to COVID is that it has been community driven and community based, and people taking some responsibility. But clearly, government still has a huge influence and huge responsibilities. Um, what sort of issues do you think now the, the government now faces as we sit in this eye of the storm with some comfort of the, you know, the the furlough scheme and various other kind of safety bars that we've got in, looking slightly further further forward to the the middle or the long term distance? What are the key issues you think that now um, government needs to tackle? Well, I think I would agree that the government has been good at dealing with this emergency, the health emergency. 
and uh, it has been quick at giving out uh, mon money, grant funds uh, for businesses, etc. Uh, but the key challenge is, is going to be tackling our kind of underlying economic health conditions, which uh, are still there and have still not been dealt with and in many ways have been neglected for years. So you only have to take the likes of health and education and health. We have the uh, longest waiting list of anywhere in the UK and uh, in education, we still churn out the most number of uh, school leavers with no qualifications whatsoever. So that's the policy levers for that are in our gift. We've neglected that for too long. And maybe after the last recession, there was too much focus on getting a, a, a quick win or a, an easy uh, economic policy gain like uh, lower corporation tax. But we neglected things like tackling our infrastructure deficit, particularly in terms of water and sewage uh, infrastructure, which is a huge barrier for economic growth going forward and the health and education uh, as well. So skills, skills are vital and also on the technology front. I think what we did see during the, the, the lockdown period was uh, aspects of the economy, particularly in the private sector, adapted very well to the technology, the working from home. Uh, conversely, in the public sector, there was a lot of areas which were showed the lack of in, uh, investment on that front. And going forward, we need to see ramping up of skills, ramping up of technology, and uh, uh, in terms of investing in our infrastructure. In terms of that infrastructure, did we see some kind of a deficit? Because there's often this complaint, the further west you go, you know, the broadband gets thinner, um, the communications lines get thinner. There's a whole sense on the north coast particularly, I think, that even though some of these big fat pipes landing from America land there, the, the people who benefit, you know, aren't the people in Derry, Coleraine, um, right across to, to Bally Castle. So, so the, you know, how aware, I think, how aware are we that, there, that some of these um, differentials are geographically based within Northern Ireland? I think what the, the whole lockdown period is going to have has, has been one big experiment, which has revealed all those kind of difficulties. And, you know, we often talk about uh, economic inequality and there's a kind of uh, digital inequality. And particularly if we're encouraging uh, working from home and working from home has benefits, particularly for people in the Northwest, if they had good Internet access where they could be doing jobs. Ultimately, you could be doing you don't need to be doing a job in London. You don't need to be doing a job in Belfast. You can do it wherever you are and wherever you live. So that provides a if you have those digital capabilities and the right uh, telecoms infrastructure, a huge uh, benefit for rural areas and uh, to boost those economies. But clearly, if you don't have that, you're going to have this kind of uh, technological digital divide. And uh, that divide needs to be narrowed uh, as much as uh, other divides. So uh, another thing that um, I think you touched on earlier, perhaps, but you know the Northern Ireland water infrastructure that has been uh, that's been in the news uh, in recent weeks. That and this is a this is um this is an issue that's really been ongoing for quite a long time. 
And, and it strikes me, and also I think many of those things that you talked about, you know, bringing in corporation tax makes a good headline. But as we know from the Republic's own econo- economic history, that one instrument alone does not transform an economy. You need to be working on education and health and infrastructure, infrastructure in terms of broadband, infrastructure in terms of transport, uh, and also water infrastructure. That, that There are many places where it's simply not possible to build new businesses because Northern Ireland water is actually at the very end of its tether as far as its ability to build any, any, anything onto the current system. Absolutely. And in many ways, our approach to economic development has been, uh, it's been like a, an a la carte approach where we've tried to select, we, we would like to have the lower rate of VAT that the Republic of Ireland has for uh, hospitality sector, we'd like to have their lower corporation tax rate, but we don't want to have their GP charges, or we don't uh, want some of their other sort of fees. And the reality, we, we have been living in this false world, and that's one of the reasons why we need this discussion and this discourse on the way forward, is we've been living in an unreal world uh, where there are tough choices, where there are going to be unpopular policies. And it would be good to see if we built on what uh, the executive has, has done on the health front, where they have been fronting up uh, day after day at times, week after week, giving messages, what we need to do, what we need to stop doing. And a lot of these are unpopular things. Uh, that same, that that kind of theme has to be applied to the economy and a realisation and speak to the electorate in terms of, quite simply, if we don't invest in water infrastructure, and that may mean water charges, it may mean uh, rates increases. If we don't do that, you're going to have sewage on your streets and we need to remove these kind of, red lines from uh, manifestos and uh, policy makers and if you because if you don't remove those red lines we're going to face brown lines of uh, dirty water and wastewater and uh, it's it's that reality we you know out of a crisis surely we now must uh, start developing uh, unpopular policies uh, as well as popular ones because uh, that's what every other uh, country does. And we've been living in a, in, a, in a kind of false world for too long. And we need to uh, pop that real, uh, reality bubble. So, Richard, we've covered a lot of ground in a relatively short period of time. But can we just finish off by really asking the question, why should people care about any of this stuff? Um, why should they get involved in the Reset Project? And, you know, Maybe how can they get involved? I would just urge all people to just wake up and get engaged. They say you should never waste a crisis. Uh, We arguably wasted the last crisis where there were some hard decisions and choices that we could have made and we could have got some hard messaging to the electorate uh, during the last crisis. We didn't do that. We need to do it this time around. If you look particularly at the younger generation, you're going to get hammered in the like you like the last recession you're going to, your futures are going to be adversely affected therefore you need to get engaged for uh mitigating actions what policies are going to be most relevant to you the elderly are at the front line of the health emergency you're at the front line of the economic uh, emergency and you need to wake up to that fact also if we sort of think 
what we've seen uh, during the crisis, uh, the pandemic, has been a lot of positive behaviours by individuals, entrepreneurs, adapting firms, pivoting into uh, PPE. Uh, we've had politicians showing leadership and engaged and giving, delivering tough messages. And in many ways, we need to lift that model and put it through our general sort of economic policies. What Northern Ireland suffers from is this status quo Stockholm syndrome. We are hostage to the status quo. We are told from people around the world, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to change your behaviour, you need to change your culture. We need to do that. And the only people who can do that is ourselves. And that's why I would just urge people, wake up, get engaged, tell us your policy ideas, uh, how can we raise more money? How can we do things differently? And for too long, particularly in health and education, we've had such a high threshold of tolerance for failure, and we need to change that. Cargo of Bricks and the Reset Project is brought to you by Slugger O'Toole and Ulster Bank. If you want to make sure you never miss an episode, then please subscribe to us wherever you get your quality podcasts.